Welcome to this edition of NC Talks. Today we speak to Dr Hans Clark, Director of Pain Services and the Medical Director of the Pain Research Unit at the Toronto General Hospital in Canada. We discuss his recent paper from the journal Pain Management and look ahead at new avenues in chronic post-surgical pain management. So firstly, your recent paper, Chronic Post-Surgical Pain and Persistent Opioid Use Following Surgery, the Need for a Transitional Pain Service, highlights a surprisingly high incidence of chronic post-surgical pain and drug reliance in patients. Could you tell us a little about your findings and the effect that chronic pain can have on patients? Oh, absolutely, Lauren. So uh, about 5 to 10% of patients uh, often develop uh, disabling post-surgical pain to about a year. Those numbers fluctuate based on things such as the type of surgery and uh, the individual characteristics of the patient. So 5 to 10% when you look at it is actually a pretty conservative number. And so uh, conservative chronic, you know, chronic pain as a consequence of life-saving or major surgical intervention, which is what we typically do at our institution, clearly needs to be addressed. And it's something that uh, has been lost in the background uh, for some time, but it's clearly now getting uh, some attention. And so, you know, the program that we developed at Toronto General Hospital uh, with respect to our transitional pain service kind of takes a proactive approach and aims to start attacking the issues early in the perioperative time period. And so uh, the service has been up and running for approximately two years now. Uh, what we do is we aim to identify patients at high risk for developing chronic post-surgical pain. And uh, we know that a particular subset of patients immediately post-operatively give us the signs that they're going to develop a, an ongoing pain problem. And in particular, those patients with neuropathic pain features, those using significant amounts of opioids, uh, all become uh, individuals that we uh, start to keep an eye on and, and uh, 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 get them into our service. And so, you know, when we look at the cost uh, uh, from this uh, in terms of the economic model that we put forth in the manuscript, if you look at a 5% incidence and we think about those 200 million, you know, surgical procedures, major surgical procedures occurring worldwide, this is not a small problem. And uh, uh, what often uh, is a big problem for these pe people are, you know, a reduction in their quality of life, work productivity, and, and clearly persistent uh, uh, medication use long-term period. So in particular, you highlight the number of patients who remain on opioid prescription months after surgery. What effect can long-term opioid use have on patients? So, you know, this is an interesting North American phenomenon. And I know that some other centers across the world have started to also implement uh, strategies uh, such as we have. But when we look at the overall number of patients that present for an operation that aren't taking an opioid, what we do know is that 97% of the patients that flow through our institutions do just fine. But there is a subset of patients, uh, about 3.1% that we found from our Ontario data here that will persist on an opioid-based medication long-term. Uh, the follow-up data to this uh, to one year is actually even more, um, uh, what shall we say, uh, more comforting in that it drops off to almost 0.4% uh, at one year if you are opioid naive. Now, that being said, there is a subset of patients, and I'm going to argue anywhere from, you know, 10 to 20% of the population at our institution, the number is 12.5% of patients that present on an opioid or with a chronic pain diagnosis. So that's almost 1 in 10 uh, patients that are presenting already with a pain problem. And these patients do, unfortunately, not very well with respect to our healthcare system. And so we also know that, for example, you know, people who come in with a history of anxiety, depression, people using benzodiazepines and, and 
SSRIs are at high risk for persisting on their opioid-based medications. And so we know that long-term opioid use is associated with uh, increased morbidity, mortality. We know that falls in the elderly is a problem. It's been associated with increased cardiovascular events. And clearly what uh, many people want to hang their hat on, there's an increased potential for abuse or addiction long-term. Your paper underlines the importance of a transitional pain service. Could you tell us a little about this program, please? Sure. Um, so, you know, in Ontario, we started uh, our service, which uh, was funded by our local Ministry of Health with support from our Ontario Medical Association. And it really built upon the 20 years of research that we had uh, generated uh, by my uh, uh, supervisor in the past and uh, Canada Chair in Health Psychology, Joel Katz. And so the, the TPS basically closes this gap in care that we know that we do these, you know, major surgical interventions, patients are then discharged, and there is a long gap between often the time they've sent from hospital and they're followed up. And especially those that have a pain problem long term, we don't have, or they didn't have, the ability to have this dealt with for months and months and months until someone finally said, okay, let's go send you to see someone who might be able to help. And so what we've done is we've put together a team of chronic pain physicians, psychologists, nurse practitioners, physical therapists, and uh, the surgeons are involved in terms of helping to identify their patients after discharge. And we follow these people up in person, guaranteed within the first couple of weeks, either by phone the next day just to see how things are going, and via mobile app, video, uh, online conferencing, we have uh, a network across the province where they can go to their nearest uh, hospital and I can see them uh, via mobile health, you name it. Uh, and clearly what we do is we uh, intervene with, you know, clearly the multimodal pharmacology, both opioid, non-opioid. We have uh, interventional pain procedures. We run a psychoeducation program. We have targeted mental health interventions at the bedside, even for some of these patients. And uh, clearly, you know, what we do is we tend to pick up those patients that have the unmanaged acute pain after discharge and hopefully prevent or reduce the likelihood that they go on to develop a chronic pain syndrome. And so, you know, by individualizing the, the care of patients uh, and integrating the families in particular, we hope to, one, modify that pain trajectory and, two, help with their opioid weaning long term. So to what extent do you anticipate that this service could reduce costs to the healthcare system? So, you know, it's not a... Uh, an issue that, you know, uh, is really out there. So it, it really just takes a, a common sense approach. And I think that, you know, by building the service that we have, we now know the types of patients. We have lots of research to say what that vulnerable patient is and how we can provide them help uh, with respect to, you know, integrating uh, the, the healthcare system. And so, you know, we've got a lot of interest in terms of replicating the uh, the service in other provinces and other parts of the country. And I think that, you know, if we look at that number again, that 10 to 15 percent of patients, that if untargeted and left uh, uh, to, to go into the system, they are the ones that consume most of our resources from a pain perspective. They're the ones that bounce back to hospitals. They're the ones that, you know, start that doctor search to, to take this pain away that is now becoming chronic and eight to ten years later are still on this path. And so the key here is, you know, jumping in early, hopefully modifying their trajectory and ultimately taking that part of the aspect away from, from the, the patient being lost in a system. And so I think that, you know, when we use that five to ten percent instance and we look at data that we had in Canada in 2012 and, and we looked at, you know, 445,000 patients that underwent their top ten surgeries 
and you put a number at a 5 or 10% cost, you're looking at anywhere from $900 million to $1.8 billion spent just as a consequence of pain disability. And so it's clear that, you know, if we identify these people, we get them onto a path where they have managed care, we can decrease the targets in terms of their length of stay by jumping in at the hospital bedside as opposed to months to years sometimes later, you can clearly see that I think we'll be heading towards uh, cost savings for almost any healthcare system. And finally, looking ahead, where do you hope that we will be in five to ten years' time? So, you know, one of the things that uh, I was, I guess, probably the most proud of is when I saw the American guidelines uh, come out for post-operative uh, pain management earlier this year, and the CDC followed up with their uh, prescribing for non-cancer pain uh, with respect to opioids. And, you know, one of the things we've been doing within our program is integrating many of what these guidelines uh, have suggested. You know, we have the non-opioid, the psychological uh, interventions that we perform at the bedside. We look at integrating acupuncture, massage, uh, physiotherapy, all of these things as an adjunct to keep these people mobile, keep them moving and deal with their pain so that the pain itself isn't central. We also, of course, still, you know, prescribe opioids for those that have moderate to severe pain and, you know, uh, look to continue to wean these uh, the patients from the from their, from their medications as needed. And so I think in about five to ten years, uh, you know, there will be other centers like this. Uh, you know, I know that in Nova Scotia and BC, they're very also interested in, in seeing our templates and, and helping build out uh, similar type programs. So the goal would be that, you know, a patient comes into hospital, we know what these risk factors are. It's well determined uh, based on research that we can put together a program for these people that may be at high risk. And not all of them will go on to develop a, a chronic post-surgical pain problem, but those that do, we target early and uh, hopefully patients will, um, you know, especially those high-risk complex pain patients, as I like to call them, will be better taken care of as, as we move forward. Great. Thank you so much for talking to us today, Dr. Clark.